0: Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 414 on Tuesday, the 20th of July 2021.
1: Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be wondering if we'll be allowed off our plague island to the Paris Motor Show next year. The government are keen to stress they realise the countryside does need a car or two. And we find out why you don't send an autonomous vehicle you love flowers but first we have two bits of follow up and the first is dieselgate and this is actually for a change Volkswagen appealing <laughs> and this time they are appealing to a dutch court over compensation payments that have been declared uh, or, or decided they must make which is 3000 euros for anyone who bought a new Volkswagen Audi Seat Skoda with defeat device software installed. And those who had second-hand cars that fell into the time period when this happened are to get €1,500. Volkswagen said, according to this Auto News Europe article, that they did not agree with the verdict. Uh, And this is the uh, latest in a string of payouts they've had to make. They are also appealing to an Italian court over the compensation that was handed out for class action for a class action lawsuit there as well
0: this is great stuff for the governments involved because it's like an economic stimulus package but they don't have to pay for it yes <laughs> anyway the, the second piece of follow-up is goont news and it's that uh michael and peter taylor who are the father and son uh former u.s special forces people who helped uh, Carlos Gordon escape from Japan in 2019 have been sentenced by a Tokyo court. Michael Taylor has been sentenced to two years in prison, and Peter has been handed a, a term of one year and eight months. Obviously, they were the people who helped. Smuggle Carlos going out in some music <laughs> instrument cases. Uh, obviously... I'm amazed that this has happened so quickly. Yes. To be perfectly honest, mm. uh, that that's my major surprise. Uh, but on the other hand, the prosecutors weren't actually looking for massive terms. I thought they would have been going for like ten years and stuff. But they had actually been they had actually been seeking two years and ten months for Michael Taylor, two years and six months for Peter Taylor. So they they didn't get that. I was quite surprised. Yeah, I
1: I saw that they pleaded guilty. To the charges and then the bit that mm-hmm. really makes me chuckle every time i see it is they, say, they said that they regretted their actions i feel they regretted being caught for their actions is actually well, what yes. they regretted
0: <laughs> th- that th- they may well be regretting only charging 1.3 million dollars or nine hundred and fifty thousand pounds for their for their services because yeah whenever you amortize that over a few years of freelance security consultant work, it's it's not the best paid ever, but maybe there's a bonus or two.
1: Yes. Yeah, but it's also going to make people really consider helping others in the future. Gone is happily sitting away in Lebanon, mm-hmm. and if you're in a country that actually does has an extradition treaty with the country you are going to do your nefarious deed or break their laws, then... Uh, you just want to be careful. Yeah. Just a don't bit. have it well known that you are the two that
0: pulled the heist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well I think that that's probably that's probably the big giveaway, isn't it? Um I didn't watch the from the parish notes last week, the uh, the Storyville yeah. at last flights on, on BBC. I think it's on BBC four. Uh if you are interested in watching that and learning more then then that's probably quite a good place to go, I think. Yes, yeah, so I've still got that on my list of things to do. Or to go you can go and watch it, yes oh, <laughs> oh, very good, very good, oh, this is as good as it gets this evening, i 'm afraid,
1: folks uh, new news though, uh, McLaren has received five hundred and fifty million capital injection. Now, this is from a split of existing investors and some new investors. What they are hoping to do or what they intend to do with this money is for electrification because of new rules that are coming in. These are items we'll discuss later in the show, but they need to pay attention to that. But also we know... They were seeking financial help from the government during the COVID crisis of last year as opposed to the COVID crisis of this year. (laughs) And the COVID crisis of next year. Yeah, and they got nothing from the government, which seems a little harsh considering that they stopped everything to help out with ventilators, masks, all that sort of stuff. On the one hand, I'm delighted that they've got cash, on the other hand i'm getting really worried for mclaren of how they are having to
0: repeatedly go out cap in hand but some of this is being used to pay off uh, existing loans already from, okay, from so it's before, a better, before all it's of a this better, so it's probably um, a better rate, rate i don't know there's a, i think there's a lot of wily i think there's a lot of wily accounting going on to liberate capital and to for certain periods and stuff i think some of this is is just is clever money folk doing clever money things as opposed to, oh my goodness, we have no cash. Although I'm sure someone will come along and tell me afterwards that actually that is what they're saying. But it, it, I, I, I don't know. You know what it can be like in yeah, these cases.
1: And that will be exactly what the government wanted from businesses is to get really, really clever, shuffle money mm. around, shuffle assets around and all the rest of it rather than yeah. them pay for anything. The other thing is
0: they're doing quite well. The Formula One team are doing quite well this year. Yes, they are. They are. That will improve their their likelihood of of getting and receiving funding as well. Yeah, from third parties.
1: Yeah, well, take us to this week's latest Stellantis news. They seem to be hogging it lately.
0: Yes, uh, everybody's favourite thrush treatment uh, this week <laughs> has been, in the words of AM Online, laying down the law. And even then, that's in inverted commas, so it might not even be their words. Two, it's UK retail franchises. Now, obviously, Stellantis has a bevy of brands here in the UK. They've got Vauxhall, Peugeot, Citroën, DS, Alfa Romeo, Fiat, and Jeep. And that it would make sense to try and rationalize uh, some of that. So supposedly what they're doing is they're looking to move to an agency model rather than an individual dealer model. Can I ask, because I, yes. I still
1: haven't had an answer that I understand, what is oh. the agency model? I don't, I don't know why. What it is, one and two, why that might be a worry for franchises.
0: Uh, I think it. it mm, sorry. uh sorry. I think <laughs> it, I, I don't really know. There we go. What,
1: what? what someone sort yes. of explained it to me. Which, I, if I've understood it correctly, and this is where I don't think I've understood it correctly, but I think the Frank, the dealers will be just agents for Stellantis. Yeah. That's, that's so what it is. That's that why it's an agency. So mean they have less opportunity to make a profit?
0: Because um, if, if they're the agents, I don't know why it's a problem. You see, the difference is that it, I think it is that a dealer buys stuff in and then holds it and then owns a stock, whereas in the agency they might not own the stock. Right. Somebody please get in touch with us um, (laughs) via any of the ways, at Motoring Podcast, on Twitter, uh, via the contact page on our website, uh, or any of the other ways. And if you can clear this one up, then that would be great. But what it means is essentially they're looking at all the dealers they've got and the dealer networks that they engage with, and they're trying to, to work out. They're gathering them into A, B, and C ratings, a means you're assured a future with Stellantis. B means there'll be discussions about your business's continued operations. And C, operators will be terminated. Yes.
1: It looks like the people that they've got quotes from in this article are pretty unhappy because yeah. well, like one has said, this isn't a consultation. A consul- consultation is where there's some element of discussion of give yeah. and take.
0: No, no. This, this is a declaration of this is what's happening. Yeah. And I imagine it would see consolidation. If they've been saying that Vauxhall franchises uh, have been told or most of the Vauxhall franchises have been told that they're in category A ready because they've just been rationalized so they're not yeah. doing going through that again that's just not on but i think we could start to see Peugeot and Citroen Peugeot and Citroen sharing a forecourt and DS sharing a forecourt whereas right at the minute they are separate yeah and more of that i mean you've got to remember by the way it, it essentially <laughs> in my mind you see everything becoming Robins and Day which is already you know the FCA uh, or uh uh, not SCA, PSA former PSA owned dealership group anyway I think we can see more of that I don't know I I, (sighs) if they consolidate
1: though I I think that what could be you know we've talked in the past with manufacturers who've gone out into the countryside and sort of service an area and that's why you suddenly see all the MGs or all the Subarus or all the Daihatsu's I think this is a real opportunity for FCA to get all their cars out to a much wider brand if they've got one dealership and you suddenly had a Jeep, a Fiat, the Peugeot, and a DS, for example.
0: Yes, I agree, but... Yes. I also think that it gives them a chance to shake off. I I don't know. It depends whether they're going to go with breaking away from big dealer groups Mm -hmm. and going towards smaller dealers, or whether they're going to knock out the smaller deals and go to the big ones. Like Mercedes did that a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think there is one Mercedes-Benz dealership left in Scotland that isn't Arnold Clark. I mean, it might have a different branding, but it's part of Arnold Clark. I think
1: there's one in North Wales that isn't part of a mega franchise as well.
0: Yeah so it's whether or not they're going to go to the mega franchises. Now to be perfectly honest, if I were in Scotland, I wouldn't buy a Peugeot, I wouldn't buy a Citroen, I wouldn't buy a Fiat because you'd have to deal with Arnold Clark and and the the after-sales service does not have the best reputation. Yeah. I would just avoid it. That looks quite a few brands actually out of the running for me if I if I lived up there because I just don't want to have to deal with that dealership group. Yeah. It depends what they're going to do. So hopefully of course then Small dealers that care are going to stay, and big dealership groups that aren't pulling their weight or give the brand a bad reputation are going to go and they may be replaced by, I don't know, Robbins and Dave, for example.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that how that pans out, actually.
0: Our interactive discussion here. Uh, on on the on the live stream is pointing out that spotty car is the lancer's new used car setup which is true they also have they also have another brand which they franchise out for looking after cars that are more than five or six years old as well and i can't remember the name of it but they do they've got other support stuff there as well so let's just see what's what happens with that and again that's that sort of franchise stroke agency type type setup. But yes, if you've got an answer to the agency what's the difference big difference between an agency and a franchise, then that would be great to learn.
1: Yep. Right, I'm going to take us to Paris sort of. Uh, and it's news that the Paris Motor Show will return in 2022 with the Equipe Auto trade equivalent. This is after a four-year break of the Paris Motor Show actually, which mm. I'd forgotten. Uh, I'd forgotten that.
0: Normally it swaps with Frankfurt, which mm. is supposedly happening this year, but been Munich. Some may say that's better. Some may say that isn't. Who who knows? Yes. yes. We won't. <laughs> we won't. We'll only know digitally. <laughs> oh, I know.
1: <laughs> so it's going to be between the 17th and the 23rd of October next year. Hopefully, I mean, I think all motor shows have realised they need to shake things up. I think it's probably the polite way to put it. They need to do more to ensure that, one, the manufacturers actually want to turn up because we well, that's keep a key hearing, one. no, not going to that, not going to that, not going to that, because they, so many manufacturers have found they can control their message more, but I'm not sure that gets that message to everybody. I mean, it depends on what information they are judging or what criteria they're judging on, because I bet if they put on a digital event of their own product, then the engagement and all that sort of stuff will come back fantastic, but then if you looked at the numbers compared to footfall of a motor show etc cetera, etc cetera, i don 't know
0: I agree completely and one of the things that I think is important about motor shows and in, in certainly in this sort of situation is remember that there are many French car manufacturers so for example uh, normally you'll see that Renault or Peugeot or Citroen, will try and time important new launches to line up with the Paris Motor Show. Traditionally, I mean, it's like even this year, there was a a flurry of new car announcements in March because that's where Geneva normally sits. And that's what big projects and programs have been timed to align with since three years before
1: yeah
0: it's important from that point of view and it's an important so that you know the president can go along wander around shake hands all these kind of things and show off france's domestic forward-looking automotive industry mm-hmm. so it's a matter of national pride into the these kind of things not just about the car makers you may well find the french ones turn up but very few of the german ones do for example yeah and then vice versa for frankfurt stroke munich
1: yeah I would imagine there's going to be a lot of electric stuff. An awful lot. Okay, I'm going to now talk about the government, but hold your horses, it's transport. Uh, And the allegedly calming words from our transport secretary, Grant Shapps, trying to reassure people that they're not anti-car and they don't want to demonise drivers, really, could have fooled me, but they're talking, what they're trying to say is they they want cars, but they want them that without damaging people's health and the environment, which is fair enough, okay? We all want that,
0: to be fair. Yes, exactly. It, but it does seem we, we would like our cake uh, and we would like to eat it. Um, and by the way, we're just going to tell you this, and we don't actually have to do anything to implement it other than just go, make it so. Yeah. It's one of those stories. Sorry. But they did at least acknowledge... And it was, you know,
1: verbalised this that the rural areas have not been treated well when it comes to public transport. That the car is for most the only way they can get around. So it's looking at ways to to improve things on that front. I mean, we talked about that idea that I've had a bit of feed, we've had a bit of feedback on about hmm. putting paths and cycle lanes inside the hedge between the field and the hedge rather than on narrow roads and um, whilst it will be very tricky to make that happen because there's always gateways this was the this was the bit that was pointed out to me the gate yeah. is critical obviously for a farmer so how do you maintain that access at all times for everything Mm -hmm. so that will have to be thought about and cleverer people than i will come up with a solution possibly hopefully come up with a solution to that if they follow it down but i've been in areas in the southwest where i have already seen them doing this they have got paths where they are inside walls but outside the field but
0: i think one of the pieces of pieces of feedback that we heard as well was that the trouble is that the compulsory purchase can take so long yeah that it, it takes a long time to implement it just because councils etc
1: yeah there there would have to be there would have to be a real push and desire from the government from local councils and from society in general to make this happen mm-hmm. but anyway sorry i've digressed slightly here but they, what they are digressed quite a bit actually what, what grand Chaps was trying to say was that cars and vans won't be completely ignored labor weren't flowing in their praise of grant chaps, basically saying that it what they're not really announcing anything new. They're not helping certain sectors and they've had years to get this in place and they've done nothing really. They're just talking about things. It's it's a lot of words, not really actions. But mm-hmm. tied into this, and another point, another thing we have discussed in the in the past as well, is that they have been trying to reassure classic car drivers that they will not be demonized either. But this is talking about they don't want to, uh, and they don't have any plans to remove existing or classic cars or older cars from the road, because that is always something that people leap to a conclusion with.
0: Yes, well, there is this belief that on the day that they stop selling internal combustion engine cars, then all cars that run on petrol or diesel as all or a component of their of running their drivetrains are going to immediately stop working. Oh yeah, yeah. All yeah. be taken they will away be, from them. <laughs> yes, they will be. They'll be completely redundant. You'll never be able to drive it again. Nor will you be able to sell it or any of these things, which is just rubbish. Yeah, tens, if not hundreds of millions of cars out there be around for a long time. Absolutely. Right. Well,
1: talking of um, potentially banning certain cars and places. Take us to EU and their their announcement on this front.
0: Oh, yes, I remember the EU. They have proposed a ban on uh, the sale of all new petrol and diesel cars, including hybrids, from 2035. This would uh, essentially make it impossible to sell non-electric vehicles. I don't know if that's quite right. Uh, but, yeah, non-electric vehicles uh, within the EU's 27 member states, certainly vehicles which don't have which, which use fossil fuel or, mm. or some, or similar to, to power them uh, within the EU's 27 uh, member states. This is a significant increase uh, in the current measures, which require 37.5% reduction in CO2 by 2030. Obviously, we can see the impact of those already, those existing rules already with the number of EVs that we're seeing around the place. But yes, the other part of this, uh, and this is the bit that, that Andrew mentioned earlier, that impacts McLaren, is that the exemption on the emission rules for small volume manufacturers—that's who produce between a thousand and ten thousand cars a year—will be removed under this. So the reason why you don't, why uh, McLaren, for example, don't have to to go for the whole uh, the whole under a hundred grams per kilometer range average et cetera thing, is because they fall into that. That category, they they don't sell enough vehicles. You'll find that certain, many major brands, as we know, are already outlining plans to switch entire to entirely electric fleets, and that's included niche (laughs) niche brands such as Bentley and Bentley and Vauxhall. So they'll be doing it by twenty thirty already.
1: Yeah, the the twenty thirty five that ties in with when Britain is going to ban hybrids as well, doesn't it?
0: Yes, I believe so. Yeah, Yeah, so. It'll be that yeah because it's got so. Much change, that things are
1: aligning, so it's yeah, it's a proposal at the moment, and already I've seen headlines of lobbying groups from Germany and France are pushing. Mm.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, uh, President Macron wants fevs, for example, to be allowed on to on sale for a bit longer. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. Obviously, it's going to be Germany and France who who lobby for that because because they've got the biggest car industries. Yep. Right, uh, news that uh, from the police,
1: actually, and the DVLA. We, that's the third week on the trot the DVLA have got in here. Yeah?
0: I know, but this one relies on the DVLA getting things right, and that's the worrying part of this story.
1: Yes. Uh, the police
0: can now, apparently, instantly access
1: DVLA driver photos to speed up roadside checks. Up to now, it takes in the region of 16 minutes for officers to confirm identity But with this new technology, they will be able to access the photograph database almost immediately via a handheld smart device. It's a phone, isn't it? I presume that's a phone. That's a phone. (laughs) Or an iPad if they've got one of those, or a a device like that. They've already done this in trials since August 2019, and they claim it saved more than 14,000 hours for road police unit officers. It's made roadside checks up to 66% faster. So yeah. there's 18 forces already using the tech, 10 more in coming weeks, and then the rest will go across all 46 police forces in the UK.
0: As long as the DVLA get their bit right, I don't really have an issue with this. What am I missing, Andrew? Why is this an evil, horrible thing?
1: I don't think it is an evil, horrible thing, As but no. it is information in needs to be right and allocated right and databases need to be right mm-hmm. that's the only Good. concern
0: that was my thinking as well yeah. uh should we go back to paris because we kind of missed that we we skipped we were so happy to be going to paris earlier on that we actually that that we actually skipped over one, oh, of, one of the paris yes. stories yes uh, and that's that paris motorists are enraged which if anybody's ever driven in paris uh, will 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 know that, that is a standard the sort of standard default beings. I was going to say, how will we spot the difference? Yes, <laughs> quite. They are enraged uh, that they'll be getting a thirty-kilometre-an-hour or nineteen-mile-an-hour speed limit imposed upon them. When could they do more than that, anyway? Well, this is my point. It, it's almost a given where they're talking about. They're saying that by the end, from the end of August, only the Boulevard périphérique, and then it says key routes such as the Champs Elysées will like, escape the thirty-kilometre-an-hour an hour limit and the thing is that if you're not on big key routes like the Champs-Élysées and stuff in Paris then really you're not that likely to be doing much more than 30 kilometers an hour anyhow. However according to the Financial Times angry Parisians believe that the new speed limits will only add to the challenges of driving around their congested city the reason they're doing it's all the usual ones cutting pollution uh, improving safety for cyclists and pedestrians obviously if you are unlucky enough to hit someone or to be hit by A vehicle going more slowly, you're more likely to survive. Yep. There are other things which are probably actually going to cause more ire than the speed limit. So, first of all, there's a plan, well, the plan that's already in place to cut public parking spaces from 140,000 to 60,000.
1: Yeah, that seemed quite extreme.
0: Yes, yes, it is quite extreme. And given that nobody really wastes that much parking space on Parisian streets anyway. They might waste each other's bumpers, but not parking, not space. And the other one is that scooters and mopeds will soon be required to pay for parking.
1: Will that not just cause people to burn things in streets again?
0: Oh, probably. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. The The aim of, of all this is the mayor, Anne Hidalgo, is aiming to transform Paris into a 15-minute city. So instead of a reliance on cars, the aim is to have everything within a 15-minute walk or cycle from home. I'm not quite sure how that's actually possible. If you work on one side of Paris and live on the other, given the way that metro lines work, it, it doesn't really work like that. I don't. So we'll, we'll I never see.
1: understand when someone wants to try and do that in a giant metropolis. Uh, well, yeah, but mm, it, yeah, because yeah, yeah. to, no, to make yeah. that happen, you're trying to make small little enclaves. That's the only way yes, that can well, work. Paris
0: is a little like that anyway. It's it's only if you happen to work for a big multinational where they have their big their big enclave out at La Défense, for example, which was the exam, which was what was in my head uh, just there. Whenever you jam all the big companies centralized into one area, then that's what happens. One last point on this to bring, to drag us kicking and screaming back on topic, is that average driving speeds in Paris rarely exceed nine miles an hour. So yeah, if you can hit 19, power to you. I don't think that that's really worth getting your knickers twisted about.
1: Yeah, that really does feel like oh, this is we're being told to do another thing. So well, I'm angry. The,
0: it's 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 a certain yes, it's it's it's, it's Parisians being told to do something. Speaking of telling people to do things, it is Guilt Minute, and we take that incredibly British approach to the quick break in the show, where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of equipment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Uh, we also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store, from stickers to mugs. And t shirts. promise to try and expand, change that about at some point if anybody lets me have some summer holiday to myself. Uh, if you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand that you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and many of you do, then thanks hugely. The last thing you can do, of course, is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you. WRC news, because it was uh, Rally Estonia. Yeah. It looked amazing.
1: Yes, a fast one and with fans. So uh, the, the big news is that Kalle Rovanperä Raven- has won his first ever Rally Championship. He pipped, well, not really pipped because it was nearly a minute, but he beat Craig Breen uh, with Thierry Neuville in third yet again. <laughs> this season is, is very consistent. But he is now the youngest to ever win a World Rally Championship event. So, not the championship, but an event. Sorry. (laughs) And that means that uh, Toyota have won again. Hyundai was second and third. Sebastian Ogier really didn't have a great event, wasn't feeling it, I believe is what the cool kids say. But he came in fourth and has meant that he extended his championship lead over Elvin Evans to 37 points. Evans could only finish fifth. Um, Nouveau is 52 points back in third, and Rovenpera is now up to fourth because Optanic only got five points over the whole event, and that was from a power stage win. He's 74 points adrift of Ogier. Yochum. And only has 74 points to his name. He was there, thereabouts with Rovan Pera until he got a puncture in special stage three. And then what looked like it was going to be, as Dirtfish calls it, heroic fight back, was ended because he entered a corner a bit too fast, slid off, and that was down quite a drop to. Uh, to uh into a field to go gave himself mm. two more punctures and he was just done for the day. So that was that was yeah, that. Was just are stuffed if you're at that stage. Hyundai I seem to be really struggling that if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And I get the feeling again that the drivers are having to drive at like a hundred and ten percent the entire well, time.
0: Was was the problem partly that, that as part of this is that Thierry Neuville was, was driving at 200% some of the time? Yes. The
1: The other thing to come out of the event is that Nouvelle was handed a suspended ban for the rest of the season because he was caught doing uh, more than twice the speed limits on a road section. <laughs> uh, and we know people have been severely dealt with for that this season uh, because you cannot... I mean, obviously, it's optics, isn't it? You cannot potentially endanger the public by you trying yeah. to get to uh, the official starting places.
0: And, and that was quite ex- quite extreme. He was doing 118 miles an hour in a 56 mile an hour zone. So. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's
1: pretty quick. It looks like it's Toyota's championship. It looks like it's Ogier's championship, unless the wheels really completely come off. And it'll be great to see, hopefully, Evans bring it home in second, um, because I think that'll he, cool. he deserves really it. That would be awesome, and hopefully does his confidence that the world of good that he can compete at this level, not just now and again, but consistently and regularly. Mm-hmm. But also, I must say, it's a great result for Breen. He's one yes. of those drivers who gets parachuted in and out, so it must be difficult to get any rhythm with the team. Even Agreed. though you're associated, but to be dropped in and out of events, uh, and I know that they are picking the sp- who they feel are specialists and best for particular events, so you've got that pat on the back, but you're sort of in and go, well, I must really do well, mm-hmm. otherwise I have no other chance where you've got Tannock and Nouvelle just going, well, we've got the whole season, and that must take a yep. little bit of pressure.
0: But Right, new new car news. Yes, oh, the first of three new new cars tonight is the... New Vauxhall Astra, the eighth generation. Nobody's driven it. They've only looked at pictures of it, and that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um Curious thing about this, this is the second last Vauxhall stroke Opel to leave any of the GM platforms. So only the Insignia is left on a GM General Motors period platform. Everything else has moved over to a Stellantis platform. The new Astra shares its underpinnings with cars like the Peugeot 308, and what that means is that as well as petrol and diesel, then it could become a plug-in hybrid as well. So uh, there's going to be two plug-in hybrid powertrains alongside like, a 1.2 petrol triple, available in two different flavors, 108 or 128 brake horsepower, and also a four-cylinder diesel with 128 brake horsepower. The FEVs will be 148 or 178 which is, which would come from a 1.6 a four cylinder turbo petrol, uh, linked up to an electric motor and an eight speed auto gearbox. I think I've got that right. No, which adds up to 178 or 222 brake if you actually do the maths, <laughs> which I didn't do. Well done, me. Um, so yes, uh, and they'll be able to do about thirty-one miles, which obviously somebody said fifty kilometers somewhere in a press release. Around thirty-one miles uh, with um, uh, on electric, and can charge in less than two hours as well to get back up to back up to that. But I think this is a good-looking car. Yes, that's all I, the dull uh, stats. I think it's quite smart,
1: but yeah. very smart. Uh, it it looks on these images quite wide it does not it not badly but it just it looks like it's a more it it's it looks like it's a more mature
0: look than the astras have been in the past few generations the past few generations of astra have not exactly been ugly cars no no they've been really quite good looking uh but this one yes it is there seem to be lots and lots of horizontal lines Mm. Um, which, again, make it look longer and make it look wider, and and stuff like the black roof that's shown on this one, which sort of extends right back into a sort of spoiler to aid arrow over the back window and stuff. Mm.
1: And it returns it to a more, it's not quite, but a more uh, abrupt rear end.
0: Well, it, it does because it's a it's sort of like a cam tail, so it's much better aero from that. Mm. But it's quite nice to detail in that kind of shark fin, sea pillar, and the little there's little gills in the little triangle there that's at the sort of back of the, the the sort. It's not really the glass house, but in the same style as the Mark Two, Three, whatever the curvy coupe like Astra, mm. Stroke, Cadet was back then um so there's a little bit of a, a a hint back to that i love the front with its led lights and that's plastic that black plastic cover across where we would traditionally have a grill and there's sort of box arches and stuff like a delta integral all sorts of things like that and and it's quite nice again as ever it does say a s t r a in letters with massive spaces between them across the back because well i guess you've got to be able to tell it from a volkswagen golf somehow Mm. Interior looks quite pleasant. Does the whole thing is quite pleasant, despite my 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 gentle ribbing. I mean, it's not it doesn't set the world alight. It's not groundbreaking, but it's a no, big step it's, for it's Vauxhall. A, certainly ha- handsome. I don't know Vauxhall's One of the few. Oh, okay. Mm. No, it's okay. I was going to say something, and then it turns out it was complete rubbish. So I was going to say that one of the pro- Vauxhall's problem wasn't looks, and then I thought about the mocker. And then I thought, yeah, it was actually, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just rubbish. No, the looks were the least uh, of the worries with the but, Mocha. <laughs> the the market, But the Astra itself, for the last few generations, the Astra has not been a bad car at all. The, the problem's been the fact that it's a Vauxhall and it's called an Astra. But yeah. That's the issue. Yeah, I, I liked, uh, I was listening to Smith and Sniff earlier on this week's, uh, Johnny Smith saying that there's lots of people who dislike it because it's a Vauxhall and that's it. Mm. Um, and he was describing them them as being lutein intolerant, which did make me chuckle. <laughs> but interior is lovely.
1: Yeah.
0: Interior is really nice, so th- that should be something something nice to see on the roads at some point. Oh, at the, at the some point, by the way, being 2022, prices start from about 22 grand and the top pet fares will likely be past 30 grand. There we go. There's the last of the useful numbers you need. So that's that's our super practical car this week. What about our, our slightly less practical car? Okay, Slightly
1: less practical is the Lotus Emira, which made its debut at Goodwood. And this is a car that is aimed squarely at the Alpine A110 and the Porsche 718 Cayman. They are going to start first edition model prices between 60 and 80,000 pounds, but it's expected that once they've got the first editions out of the way, the price will start at sub just sixty thousand uh, pounds, depending on the spec, etc., etc., and they are yeah. expected to be on the road from spring twenty twenty two. You're going to have two types of drivetrain or engines. One will be a- <laughs> it is
0: still just it's pure engine, yes. not drivetrain. I know I had to yet. stop myself there.
1: <laughs> the first is a three point five liter V six from Toyota, which will give something in the region of four hundred brake horsepower. They are already using that in the Exige. Mm -hmm. That will be available with both the six-speed manual uh, or a six-speed torque converter automatic with a limited slip diff. But also, they are hoping or they are expecting to stick in a... Where is it? An AMG
0: engine. Two-litre turbo from the AMG A45 models.
1: Yes, which... Uh, I don't think I've read anyone's uh, a an, uh, review from anyone or heard a review from anyone where they felt that the AMG A45 engine wasn't really that pokey.
0: No, no, I think mostly the opposite. <laughs>
1: yes, and if you're going to stick it in something that will probably be quite lightish, then I expect that to hurtle along quite a bit.
0: Yeah and it's only to, you see the four cylinder engine's 50 kilos lighter than the V6. Yeah. So the actual difference in performance is going to be slight. It's going to be a bit like the Supra that I drove last week. I drove the 2 liter one and the 2 liter one is only a a smidgen slower than the 3 liter one simply because it's it's so much lighter. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean the the, the, the with this car I mean i am I've looked at lots of pictures of it and it's clearly Lotus. It's not an ugly car by any stretch of the imagination, no, uh, at all. And it's clearly Lotus going. This is us stepping up and mm. reinventing ourselves slightly again. This is a step away from the Exige's and things like that, which is no bad thing because they're they're putting a line under it.
0: Mm. But what, what's interesting is that, of course, it's it's stepping up that bit, but that does also leave space underneath. Should they decide to? Yeah, hopefully fill that gap again. Hopefully,
1: yeah. You know, if they can if they can sell enough of these, then sell a slightly more a slightly cheaper model, mm. uh, uh, type of car. So uh, obviously, we in Britain have gone nuts over this because it's Lotus, and mm-hmm. I am delighted to see Lotus come out with a new car, not a special edition.
0: Yes, <laughs> well, the special edition will be along next week.
1: <laughs> so there is that. Uh, We can presume it handles really well. We can presume that it dries really nicely. The question is, and I am presuming this is happening because now Geely are owners, or ultimately owners, that they are getting a handle on quality finish, reliability, all stuff that will always, always hamper a smaller volume manufacturer.
0: Yeah, I, I would I would hope so, because they've got – I drove past the design center, actually, out uh, far side of Coventry just last week. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're taking people who know all about this stuff from JLR. <laughs> oh, hang on. Uh, from JLR, from other parts of the industry. Uh, so So, yeah, they've got a fantastic pool of talent there and people who know all about how to do this stuff, so they don't need to learn it from scratch.
1: Yeah, my – my presumption is this will be a cracker. My fingers are crossed that it really is. Um, uh, it doesn't really it, matter if
0: it's it a Lotus. It propels the company forward. Is, is is But reliability is not a Lotus trait, so it's not really that important. But if anyway. you
1: say you're taking on Alpine and Cayman... Yeah, exactly. I
0: know. I know. I'm being facetious. I know you are. You are. Right, take us <laughs> so, to another one then. Uh, there was another one. So this is, I don't know. This is the British equivalent of those mad Russian 8,000 brake horsepower supercars you see it, you see it Geneva. Uh, this is the Wells Vertige was announced at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Uh, and if the Amira is a little bit up market for you, then this might be, this, this might be the, the tonic, uh, that you're looking for. So the, so it's estimated. To come in at 815 kilos uh, as a curb weight. Uh, it's going to be powered by a Ford Lost it I was doing so well. Yes, it's going to be powered by a 2-litre Ford Duratec unit uh, with... <laughs> with uh with independent throttle bodies it'll be have about 208 brake horsepower uh giving more than 100 brake horsepower per liter obviously uh and then it's incredibly light so they're talking about 0 to 60 in about 4.8 seconds and about 140 miles an hour flat out and it is it looks a lot it it's a little bit Less Spartan than the Elise was inside, but it looks it looks good. It's it's a little bit more Genetti, perhaps, from the outside.
1: How do you get hold of the dial behind the, the gear lever?
0: Um... Just the passenger to do it carefully. I don't know. It's it's, it's a funny angle that, so it, it's hard to judge. I think in another picture there, that it actually looks like there's quite a space between the two, and it's not that the the leather gaiter is rubbing on the is rubbing on the the ventilation knobs.
1: There is an odd mix of technology and analog in that.
0: It it is, but the idea is that it'll be about forty five thousand pounds, so significantly oh, okay. cheaper than what we've been talking about and um yeah it should be should be interesting i mean there's lots of lots of bits borrowed from other cars and all that kind of thing because because it has to be it has to be so very interesting i mean i've been slightly demeaning by likening it to some of those 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 vaporware supercars i'd love to see one on the road it'd be cool yep
1: absolutely Mm i hope that goes well for the company Ah. as well as goes well on the road (laughs)
0: Yes, yes. Lunchtime read, Andrew. Yes, and this
1: is from Haggerty, written by Anthony Ingram, and he talks about dawn patrols, in particular one that he took between uh, into Bedfordshire and Cambridgeshire, and it's just basically an an ode to going for a drive when no one else is about, and the the joy that can bring, particularly if it's. A lovely morning and you've got up before everyone else and you're just able to just drive not necessarily at you know uh license removing speeds or anything like that that's not the point of a dawn patrol
0: well yeah at one point you points out that this would be a great road for a 2cv because it's that it's that kind of sort of fluid french styly road so it's it's quite interesting worth a worth a read starts just down outside of bedford ends just around peterborough nice and handy for me to be honest <laughs> even even more so for doing it in reverse it's, it's definitely worth 10 minutes of your time to have a read of that and some nice photos as well and yes it sounds yep. like a nice way of doing it and some inspiration i think yes i think so at this time of year absolutely right you need to take us to our list of the week this of the week, again, H- Haggerty's doing us fine service on some of the, uh, on listicles and, and and non-news stuff. So, thank you. Uh, so, but this one is Small is Beautiful. Nine small cars that gave us luxury in miniature. So there's nine of them. It's, it's cracking. Links, by the way, in the show notes, obviously, uh, for both this and for the lunchtime read. I know I've got a pick from these. It's very cool. Well, do you want to go for it? Oh, I know what mine is. Mine is the Renault Five Monaco. That was my pick too. A pair. So a friend of my parents had one, and he was an appalling driver, but he had one in dark brown with the brown leather interior, and I think his was automatic. I can't remember, but I don't know. It just it's just very cool. It's one of these things, and and you know, the picture at the top of this is outside the. Uh, Opera garnier in Paris and the Grand Hotel. Uh and it it's just so French. It's the you still, <laughs> until relatively recently, you still saw these hanging around Paris. Not much of a bumper left, front and rear. But you just you you saw them parked around. Even the really you know the photo. Okay, so the the lady and gentleman leaning against it and each other are maybe a bit of an exaggeration in the way that. Press photos tend to be, but you would still see these parked about twenty thirty meters from where this photo was taken um just just parked right up in the, the side of the street until not so very long ago mm-hmm. um, because people kept them for for running around in in the city and some of them even gained little bull bars and things to try and stop other people parking <laughs> on top of them you, you've not lived until you've seen Mark one two with bull bars. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so. There's loads of these. There's another eight. Uh, there's a couple of really obvious ones that you'll know about. There are some others which you possibly have never heard of. Um, it's a cracking little list. It is. Uh, small luxury cars are really cool. I'm sorry. I, I yeah. I, well, you know what I don't like about small cars. Small luxury cars are at least as cool, if not cooler than. Um, than, than, uh, than, than small fast cars. Uh, Luxury Major is Gav's, important thing. Major Gavs. Is it a Monaco? Is it Clio? Clio Baccaro, isn't it? Mm. It's very cool. I do like them a lot. Yep. Mm. yep. Anyway, and finally, it uh, comes down to you, Andrew. Yes. Uh, and this is a
1: tweet from Philip Koopman, who is a very very well known in the autonomous vehicle and safety-critical software fields. Uh, He put out a tweet that an autonomous bus in Vienna was foiled by daisies growing in a crack in the pavement. The Mm -hmm. three-year trial result equals self-driving shuttles still need some work. (laughs) Yeah. There is an auto-translate link to this, but basically uh, this is... You know, in case anyone wasn't clear and hadn't heard me bleat on about this many, many times,
0: and I don't uh, know how you could have missed it. To be perfectly frank,
1: autonomous vehicles are an impossibility almost uh, if you are going for level five, unless humans are to be banned from driving vehicles on the same area. It's very tricky. They are the problem. Is as as the apparent closeness of this arrives, we get closer to finding the really hard stuff that needs to be solved. Yeah, that they've stuff never considered. like
0: uh, unexpected things like, what was a crack in the road? Okay, okay, look, it's a crack in the road, bus. So bus is all right with that until uh, until it becomes summertime and it does, and daisies grow out of it, and then it goes, oh, there's something in the road. But so it's that last tiny little bit of bit of, you know, but it's not tiny. That's the problem. Percent. It's so it's not. It's massive. It's, it's massive. But it, it is yeah. discovering those outliers, which actually happen all the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good one. And do go do click through on the link in the show notes. It and is. Do, it's worth it's worth It's
0: not. It's not ranty and silly. So no, no, no. Uh, Parish notes this week. Very quickly, special edition came out last Friday, and we're talking about uh, our times because we had one each yes uh with the hyundai Tucson hybrid ultimate the ultimate and you can decide whether or not we thought it was the ultimate hyundai Tucson hybrid although to be honest i've driven the plug-in hybrid since we recorded that and and actually i'd say the plug-in hybrid is the ultimate hyundai Tucson.
1: so the plug-in is the ultimate ultimate yeah but
0: this is the ultimate if it's not plug-in okay yeah right that makes sense good Okay, if you want to actually find out what any of that means, do have a little bit of a listen. Um, It involves two of us disagreeing about things. Not that much, though, for a change. Eh, eh, enough. Anyway, folks, don't forget that between now and the next time, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon offer, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. Please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen,
1: you should find me there. And Alan, if someone would like to know more about fitting a bull bar to a Mark I Yaris, what's the best way for them to find that out personally?
0: Bizarrely, it's one of the few things I haven't done to a Mark One Yaris yet yet well exactly but you can still ask me all about it uh via twitter where i'm at ajpbradley that's b-r-a-d-l-e-y we will be back very soon but until then i've been alan bradley i've been andrew clues and safe motoring